Thank you, Lord. You hear, you hear the hearts of your people as we just lift our gratitude to you for all that you have done for us, the blood that has been applied to our sin. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for opening our hearts and our lives and our minds to receive your word. And I pray that right now we will have hearts and soil in our hearts that will receive the seed planted into us today as we open your word together. Bless us, Lord, and will your Holy Spirit work in our hearts today and deliver people today um, from all kinds of bondage. Would you heal people today? Set some people free? And change all of us, I pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Woo, have a seat. Want to grab your Bibles? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 today. Man, I am worn out. We had such a great time in the first service. We were able to baptize um, a young man and a young woman in the first service and hear their testimony. And it's just, <laughs> I just love the family of God. I just love being here with you and celebrating together the way that we do every week. God is alive and well and doing some great things in our midst and um, had a brother just come up at the, at the end of the service today and just say, I just need to give my heart to Jesus and right here, he just gave his heart to Jesus. And we're so thankful for that. Praise the Lord for that. So um, we're gonna be in Matthew 13, but I'm gonna start with um, Matthew 24, um, which is the foundational passage for all that we've been doing with this series um, what in the world, and trying to make sense of what's happening in our world right now and the signs that we're seeing right now and make sense of that in relationship to end-time prophecy and what the Bible has to say about it. So we're in, in Matthew 24, This Jesus is answering the question of his disciples, well, when's all this gonna happen and when will you return? And so that's what he's addressing when he writes and says to them, see that no one leads you astray. This is verse four of Matthew 24. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Did you hear about that big earthquake that took place this week and it's tsunami warnings and everything out? You know that's biblical. Yes. Okay. You know that's gonna increase. Oh, yeah. Okay. All of these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So we started, this is part two um, that we started last week on the great falling away. And our opening line last week was um, that we are living in very disorienting times. And we talked about the fact that we are experiencing a national cultural convulsion that is turning into a national moral convulsion. A time that is bringing great turmoil and polarization at every level and division. And I believe we will see, we will clearly be marked. This time will be marked for all the rest of time however long the Lord might delay. We will be scarred and permanently changed in our culture, in our national culture, and in our moral culture um, as a result of these times. Just like we can look back and see the definite marks and, and permanent change that took place in the 60s we're going to experience today. But we talked about last week that this convulsion that we're seeing also happening in the church simultaneously carries with it Three realities. First of all, we saw that there was a time of great shaking. We see issues and, and events happening all around us, even behaviors happening all around us that are shaking our faith in just about everything and forcing us all to ask questions like, who can we trust? Who's telling us the truth? Who's looking out for our best interest? 
Who can we turn to for help? God help us that the church can be the pillar in the communities all around the world when people start asking these questions, which they are now, that they'll be able to say, you know, I know a place where I can turn to to answer these questions and for help. I know a place where it seems like I can trust what they're saying. I hope that the church of Jesus Christ will rise up in these times of great shaking. There's also a time of great sorting that comes from these convulsions. When ideologically people are picking sides and they're forced to choose Who am I going to relate to and who am I going to associate with and who am I going to listen to? And we can clearly see lines, can't we? We can see lines being drawn politically, socially, racially, religiously, even ecclesiastically, which means even in the church you can see people drawing lines and aligning themselves ideologically with what they think the scriptures are teaching and who they want to be Um, sorting out who who they want to be hanging out with when the times come. And the end result of all of this is a time of great disengagement we talked about last week. And what comes along with disengagement is dissension, division, cultural destruction for sure, but we're also seeing the destruction of unity in the body of Christ which is heartbreaking because that's, in Jesus' heart, unity in the body of Christ is everything. And that's his desire, peace and unity in his church, oneness in his church. But this great shaking and great sorting and great disengagement coming from this convulsion of our culture and the moral convulsion we're experiencing in a nation is affecting the church. Jesus calls it Um, a great falling away instead of disengagement. We use the word disengagement, but he calls it a great falling away. Paul calls it a great rebellion against God. We talked about the rise in apostasy, which means that there will be those who have walked with Christ and have walked with his church, have lived the life, maybe for many years, have tasted of the living water, and at some point, and for a myriad of reasons we don't understand, choose to walk away from Jesus himself, to depart from the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 describes this that we're, just, that we're talking about. For that day, Paul says, that day is the coming of the Lord that he's referencing. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion or a falling away against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. So what's going to happen is there's gonna be a big falling away and that falling away prophetically has to happen before the Antichrist rises. So I believe that there will be a great falling away. We're seeing the signs of it right now, aren't we? We're seeing the signs of it all around us. But there will be a great falling away and a great rebellion against God. I believe it happens after the rapture. I can't prove that timing of this, but we know that the rapture is going to happen. There's going to be a great falling away, and then the Antichrist will rise. That's what Paul just told us. I believe that we are on the front edge of this great falling away that Paul and Jesus are talking about. And when the falling away happens, the Antichrist will rise, the final Messiah the final Antichrist. Now, I find myself asking, how can this happen? Do you? I mean, how is it, how could anyone who has tasted the goodness of Christ ever choose to fall away? That's the question that we're gonna be working on today. And so um, you're going to Matthew 13, I hope that you're there, um, where Jesus is going to explain to us the mystery of all of this. He's going to explain to us what he's talking about and how this could actually happen, and we're going to try and make sense of it. But I want to challenge you today to ask yourself the question, where am I? I want you to see yourself in the scripture today, all right? As we go through this parable that Jesus is going to talk to us about and tell us, I want you to ask yourself, who am I? And where am I in this story um, on this falling away? 
So before we jump in, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I, I don't pretend to know a whole lot, and I certainly don't know the answer to all of life's questions that come from life's problems. Um, life hits us pretty hard, right? And we, when it does, it rises up questions in me and I know in you of why is this happening and why would God allow this particular thing to happen to me and not to the person sitting next to me? You know, what, what is going on in my world and I can't make sense of what's going on in my world and we have these questions and many of you are asking me a lot of these questions and I just want you to know I don't, I don't know the answers to some questions. There are some questions we can't know the answers to. In fact, today's study, I've been wrestling with this all week, because today's study is likely going to raise more questions than it answers in your mind. And I hate that because um, I would love to be the answer man. You know, so many times in counseling, the counseling room, people come in and they're like, I got this big problem. I don't know how to solve it. it would, wouldn't it be awesome, Sean, if we could just like go to the cabinet and pull down this, here's a little bottle. If you take this magic pill, or I have some magic beans, and if you'll take these and you'll plant them in your heart, or you'll plant them in the soil, or you'll take this little pill, it will fix everything. How easy would that be? But that's not how life works. For sure, I get to go to the medicine cabinet and pull out the word of God and show you where you can see yourself, show you how you, where you can learn, show you where you can grow. But even then, there are some questions that we have that life brings our way that the Bible doesn't even answer. And we're desperate for the answer, but the answer is this. Trust me. See, I don't have a pill for everything I have, don't even have a, a scripture passage for everything except this passage. Trust in me. See, I, I don't know the answer to your question, but I know the answer. I know the person who has the answer to your question. And I can lead you to the Lord. And I can lead you to the word. And if you'll hang with me to the end, Though I may not be able to answer all of your questions, we together might find some resolution, okay, at the end of today. So hopefully you can stay awake. <laughs> I, that's my job, to keep you awake to the end. So we're asking the question as to why anyone would fall away from their faith in Jesus. So here's the answer, and Jesus is telling us a parable. You know what a parable is? A parable is not is a fictitious story. It's not, it didn't really happen. It's a great teaching tool. No, many of you teachers know how to use this. You tell a story to help um, the, the student understand a higher um, thought. In Jesus' case, he told parables, which were earthly stories with a kingdom message, a kingdom application. So this is, he would say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell a earthly story to illustrate that. That's what this is. It's a parable about this great falling away to help us see why people would do it. And it's going to answer our question. So let's read it in Matthew 13, verse 3. Here's the parable. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. So there's the story. Now, there's another seed that we're going to talk about later on. There's another seed 
that was planted and it actually went into the good soil and it sprouted and it bore great fruit. It bore a harvest of fruit. We're gonna talk about this. So there's four different seeds. The seeds are cast, but they fall on four different kinds of soil. Now the disciples asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Which being interpreted is, we don't understand what you're talking about. And so they ask him, and so Jesus, he loves, he, you do know that he doesn't want you groping around in the dark. He wrote down the meaning of, your, of our lives, and he wrote down how we can interpret things that are happening in our world if we would just take the time to seek it out. And he does it here. He doesn't say, hey, deal with it, guys. Try to figure it out. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery. He actually explains the meaning in verse 19. He starts in verse 19. So we're going to break it apart, okay, into the different seeds falling on different soils today. The first is this in Matthew 13, 19. And I've added the first words in italics because Luke tells the same parable, and he adds that the seed is the word of God. So I'm adding that here to Matthew. Okay, Matthew left that out. Shame on him. So Matthew, so here it is. The seed is the word of God. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. So the first reason people fall away is what I'm calling, let's go to our notes now, what I'm calling demonic deception. Demonic deception. The seed, Jesus said, that fell on the footpath are those who hear the message but they don't understand it. So the seed gets planted into their minds, but it makes no sense. This is a very biblical thing here that he's talking about. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. You see, our minds, you guys, we cannot figure out the truth of God's word unless the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth of God's word. And so this person, the seed was, fell upon their hearts and the seed was planted in their minds, but they couldn't understand it. And when they couldn't understand it, these pathway believers become endangered to the devil coming and taking the seed away that was planted. There are many deceivers out there that are trying to snatch seeds, but we're not talking about like tele-evangelists out there. We're talking about somebody who's much more dangerous than some any tele-evangelist that could be out there trying to deceive people into getting what they want from them. These are ones who operate in the spiritual realm, in the demonic realm, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan, who is the God of this world, Please lean into this with me. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan is alive and well on the planet, and he and his demons have one goal in mind, and that is to keep people from Jesus, keep people from hearing the word. And so he has a ministry called blinding the eyes of people and stopping their ears. And whenever the Holy Spirit, or whenever the word of God, forgive me for that, for whenever the Holy the word of God is cast out there onto the hearts and minds of people who do not believe, Satan is right there to snatch the seed, just like the birds came and ate the seed off the hard path. That's right. It's happening all over the place. Satan and his demonic horde are what I'm calling seed snatchers. But that's not all they're doing. It's bad enough that they're snatching seeds from people, but what they're doing is they're actually recruiting to themselves seed snatching disciples out of the people who they snatch the seed from. And you're like, huh? The Bible teaches us that. It's happening in the church. So the seeds get cast. Satan and his demons come and snatch the seed and then 
target those people that they snatched the seed from to turn them into seed-snatching disciples. Try to say that three times fast. Seed-snatching disciples in the church of Jesus Christ. Not in the world, in the church. You're like, where is that, Phil? Glad you asked. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Write it down, open your Bibles, let's go here. You've got to see this. This is answering the question, how can anybody do this? This is how. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, so when is this gonna happen that we're gonna read about? In the last times. Question, are we in the last times? Absolutely we are. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. There's that falling away. And here it is. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Do you see it? There is the seed snatching right there. Then, verse two, these people, the seed snatching disciples, are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. So Satan is not just snatching seed, he's turning their hearts to become his tools. According to this passage, the doctrines of the demons turn into lies and hypocrisy in the mouths of their new recruits who become tools of Satan in the church of Jesus Christ. That's a scary thing that's going on. They actually become false teachers who will do everything they can, the scripture says, to cause spiritual damage. Paul says it's because they have cold and calloused hearts with consciences that have been seared with a hot iron, he says. And having lost all moral sensitivity and direction, it is their goal to lead others astray in the church of Jesus Christ. It becomes their goal to tell lies and to be hypocrites in the church to snatch the seeds from other people. Isn't that something? How conniving he is. Paul went on to say in 2 Timothy 4 that in the last days, are we in the last days? We yeah, we are. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching in the church, but will instead follow their own desire and will call on these false teachers, these seed-snatching disciples to come and tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Man, are we ever in that today? That is happening right now. And the result will be that many believers will reject the truth and the Bible says will chase after myths and fall away. It's happening right here, right now. Not in this church, Phil, absolutely in this church. And every other church that's meeting together today to lift high the name of Jesus, the demons are here trying to snatch the seed that is being planted. Here, Phil, yes. In our midst, yes. That is the hard reality. Let me just say this, okay? I gotta make sure I don't lose my place here, get off on some crazy tangent. Somebody was asking me in the first service, after the first service, so he can snatch my seed out of my head? I said, only if it hasn't taken root. See, he can't take the seed of the gospel out of you if you're truly saved. He has no power there because your Holy Spirit is sealing that and holding on to that. He has no power where you're not saved but he has all kinds of power in the unbeliever who is just experiencing God. And some of you are here and you don't know the Lord yet and you haven't accepted Christ yet. And maybe you're sitting at home online with us, you're joining us online in the balcony. You're, you're here and you don't know the Lord yet. Which you, the, the reality of this teaching is that Satan is, is trying to steal the seed. And he's trying to deceive you. The demons are trying to deceive you to not believe and use you for his own purposes. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, he's a pastor, and when musing on this subject, this is what he said, many times after I finish preaching, I pray, Lord, 
Don't let the devil steal the word of God from the people of God before they get to their cars. That's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening to this first seed. So here's the second reason why people fall away. Scorching disappointment. Scorching disappointment. We're going to be in verse 20 and 21, but in verse 4 to 6, Jesus described seed that fell on rocky ground, remember, with, little, uh, with a little bit of topsoil. And the plants sprouted because there was moisture in the black soil, the little topsoil there in the morning. But the roots couldn't go deep, and as a result, they wilted and died under the heat of the sun. Look how Jesus explains it in verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. Get this now. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, we all know that we're going to suffer on this earth. And those of us who want to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And so this person, whenever they experience those life problems or those problems as a result of being a Christian and they're getting persecuted, they fall away because they have not been rooted. And when the time of testing comes, they fall away. So, and what's the reason? Because they have no root. And because they have no root, they can't survive the persecution. Too many people in the church have become victims of this. Too many people. They just get their feet into the rich, dark, moist soil of God and his word. They get excited because remember it says they receive it with joy. They get excited about the Christian life and what they see and experience from the people of God. They see all the peace. They see all the hope. They see all the the meaning and fulfillment that they've been searching for out in the world and haven't been able to find it. And they come in here and they begin to experience it and they see it and they want it and they're excited about it. But because they aren't rooted, when life's trials hit them, when persecution comes, they wilt and die. And unfortunately, Oftentimes, they spend the rest of their lives and the rest, the rest of their worldly existence mad at God, mad at the world, mad at everybody, disappointed and disillusioned. They're mad at the church because somebody hurt them. You guys, this happens too many times. They walk away. <laughs> hey, where's Betty? I mean, Betty was here for like 50 years serving in children's ministry, doing all kinds of good. Well, somebody hurt her feelings. And she said, that's it. I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with God. And she walks away and she never comes back to the Lord. And you talk to Betty, she's a bitter woman. Whatever happened to Jack, man, he was like, he was all excited and going, going strong for the things of the Lord. Where is he? Well, somebody hurt his feelings. You know, they told him to park in the wrong spot in the parking lot. He got all freaked out and got mad and said, that's it. I'm not doing it again. It you know, you're laughing because you guys are like, I can't stand it. They're like, tell me where to park out there. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> it's for your own good. I feel guilty even laughing right there at that point because it's so sad. But this is what happens to certain people who they receive the word with joy. But because it's not real belief, because it isn't rooted and grounded, when life comes, they wilt. Again, Dr. David Jeremiah, I, I, I can't explain it any better than this. He says, many of these people are looking for a solution rather than a savior. Do you hear that? They want their problems to go away without surrendering their lives to Christ. They want the blessings of belief without the burden of swimming against the cultural stream. They like the idea of the gospel, but they lack a personal commitment to Christ. 
And the Bible tells us that as we draw closer to the tribulation, there will be an increased number of casual Christians with little to no roots in the gospel who will turn their back on Christ and walk away. Again, our goal is to ask ourselves, can we see ourselves in this story? Here's the third reason people fall away that we find in this story, and that is worldly temptation. Worldly temptation. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. By the way, are you hearing that? All three seeds so far have heard the word. Okay? This person hears God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. These are people who can't withstand the strong pull of the world and all of its worries, all of its riches, and all of its pleasures. These are people that are trying to do two things at once. They're trying to hold hands with the world and hang on to the world and hang on to God at the same time. And they can't do it. So I need some help. Randy, come on up here. Who else wants to come? I got to... Bronson, come on up here. You can, you can come on up here. You can just stand right over here. I need one more guinea pig. Huh? I'm a guinea pig. You're a guinea pig. Yeah. It's all right. Come on. Larry, why don't you just come on up here, Larry? Come on over here, Bronson. All right, here's the deal. You guys are going to represent... Um, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, okay? That is the lure of the world, okay? And that's what we're fighting against, and that's what we actually get saved from. Okay, so stand kind of at a, across like this, yep. And so, um, Randy, you're going to be the lust of the flesh, okay? Just hang on to that. You're going to be the lust of the eyes, and you're going to be the pride of life, Okay, so this is the person, what we're describing here, this is the person who's wanting to hold hands with the world and hold on to God, okay? And what happens is the world is relentlessly pulling against the things of God. You got that, right? That's not a a mystery to anybody, right? And so the lust of the flesh is constantly pulling the person towards the lust of the flesh. And when you're trying to, you cannot. This is, not a Christ, this is not the Christian life. I'm gonna hold on to the things of the world and hold hands with the world, and I'm going to try to hang on to God at the same time. The reason it doesn't work is because the pull never stops. You're constantly working against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Oh, no, no. No, you guys are yoked up together against the believer, okay? And then now both are pulling against, and then the pride of life gets in there and jumps on. And so not only, Jesus says that the reason that the person falls away is because they can't handle the pressure and the pull of the world for wealth and the cares of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so they continue because they pull and they pull, and they pull, and they do not let go. Because <laughs> here, li- listen to me, the world will never let, go. never let go. You never have to worry about the world going, that's it, too much pressure, snap. And gonna, gonna, wouldn't that be awesome if they just leave us alone every once in a while? But they won't. They're relentless, and they're going to keep pulling. And so here I am. I am, the, the word has been planted, and I want to be in the word, but I love the world, and I'm trying to hang on to the world, and there is no way that I'm going to win this tug of war. You know why? Because they're stronger than me, and they're never going to stop, 
And what Jesus is saying is that this person who is trying to do both things, trying to live in both camps, this is what eventually will happen because they don't want to let go. And the pull is getting harder and harder and harder and harder. The only thing they can do is let go of the word and grab on with both hands so that they don't lose this. Can you see that? Thank you. Thanks for your help. Listen to me. You can't have your feet in both camps. It doesn't work. The lure of the flesh is too strong. The lure of the world is too strong. These are the people who play the Christian life for a while, sometimes for years, but the world will always win and will expose the true intent of their hearts. Some of you are in this battle right now. You're trying to Hold hands with the world and hang on to God at the same time. On, You're never going to win. Nope. You got to hear me now. None of these three seeds truly receive the word. Okay? They're not Christians. They heard the word, but they did not receive the word. We're going to talk about that in a second here. Those who have received the word, those of us who have received the word, and we are believers, does that mean we're not going to wrestle with the things of the world and the pull of the world anymore? No. But you got to know that the Christian life isn't trying to hang on to the world and hang on to Jesus. The Christian life is repenting of the things of the world and walking away from that. That's what repentance is, is turning away from the thing. He has saved us from this stuff. He's calling us out of the world to live in, under his power and under the control of his word and live in victory over these things. Those are the ways you used to live, the scripture tells us. You've been saved from that. What do you continue to reach back and try to hang on? And some of you are doing that. You're truly saved, but you're trying to hang on to the world. What is wrong with us? Come on, I got to put myself in that category. Because I still, I'm, you guys, do you believe me that I'm going hard after God? I'm going hard after God. I am, whether you believe me or not. I'm going hard after God. I'm giving it everything I have, but every once in a while I keep going. Come on. Reaching back and grabbing on to some of that stuff. And the Holy Spirit's like, what is wrong with you? I have released you from that. In fact, before we are saved, this person right here, the reason that they can't let go is because they're still handcuffed to it. They're chained to their old life. They haven't been regenerated yet. They haven't been born again. Unfortunately, there are people that are trying to do that, and they will always turn and grab onto the world and fall away. These three seeds were never born again. Do you know why? Because they've never produced any fruit. That's what Jesus said. In Matthew, look at Matthew 13, 23. So now we're talking about that fourth seed. Jesus said, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word, and get this now, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as they had, plant, had been planted. The difference between this person and all of the rest, this seed and all of the other three seeds, is fruit. You need to hear me now. Truly born-again believers are those who hear the word of God, understand the word of God, are changed by the word of God, and they begin to produce a harvest of fruit in their lives. We don't earn our salvation by doing good works, but once we're saved, we will do good works. And we will produce fruit. 
Scripture, all through the New Testament, you can find teaching that if you are living this way, according to the ways of the world, and that is the way you're living, and you're not producing fruit, then you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. You're not saved. You haven't been changed by the gospel. The gospel changes people. And you'll, you will bear fruit if you are saved. I, I talked to another person after the first, second service. I said, they go, how do I know if I'm truly saved? I said, are you bearing fruit? Fruit that will last. There's lots of ways you can know that you're saved because the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are saved. But the difference between the three and the fourth seed is that there was a real birth. There was a, there was, they were born again. They are anew in Jesus Christ. And they're producing fruit. All right. So what do we do with all this knowledge that we have as a result of this? Um, here's what I want you to write down somewhere. Examine myself. You need to examine yourself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Let me just say these things right here. You aren't a Christian because you believe in Jesus. What? Don't you have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian? Absolutely. But just because you say you believe in Jesus does not make you a Christian. It takes a whole lot more than just, I believe in Jesus. James talks about this. He goes, you say you believe in Jesus. Well, good for you. Even the devils believe in fear. Just saying, I believe in Jesus. I grew up, I grew up believing in Jesus my whole life. It didn't make me a Christian. You aren't a Christian because you've lived a good life. But you don't understand, Phil, how many good things that I have done. I'm a good dad, I'm a good husband, I'm a good employee, I'm a good citizen, I'm doing great things. Do you know how many people are gonna stand before the Lord in the final judgment and they're gonna look at Christ and say, hey, don't you remember all those great things I did for you and all the goodness that I had in my heart? And he's gonna go, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I didn't just make that up. The Bible says that that's gonna happen. Jesus said, many in that day will say to me, I did good things. And he's gonna say, that doesn't matter. Just because you do good things doesn't make you a Christian. You aren't a good Christian. You aren't a Christian because your parents are Christians. You aren't a Christian because you grew up in the church your whole life. I've been saved my whole life. No, you have not. I've had people tell me that. Tell me about your salvation experience. Well, I've been saved my whole life. No, that's wrong. That's not true. How can you say that, Phil? Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. If you haven't confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, then you're not saved. Paul preached this message, Acts 26, 20. This is what he preached. All must repent. Repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things that they do. It's all wrapped up right there. You've got to repent of your sin. What repentance mean? Repentance means I turn away from the old way. I turn away from the things that I was pursuing and locked up to. And I turn to God now. And as I turn to God, when I'm truly saved and I'm truly born again and I have the Holy Spirit, I will begin to produce fruit that will last out of my life. That's the Christian life right there. Peter preached this message too in Acts 2.38. He preached this. Each of you must repent. This is out in the, in the city square. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you and to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 
You have got to have a time in your life where you repent of your sin and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and put your faith in him and make him the Lord of your life and then you're reborn. Then, you're, then you have a new life in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I am getting you to the point where you examine yourself before the Lord. Paul tells us to do that. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. That's a biblical thing for me to, to lead you to. Listen, if you're saved, you know it. If you're saved and you know it, say, Amen. Stomp your feet, clap your hands. I don't know why those two are in there, but you know, if you're saved and you know it, say, Amen. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. That's what the Bible says. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, and dwell, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer is to, is to convict us of sin, to guide us in the ways of the Lord, to remind us of what Jesus said, and to bear witness with our spirit, to testify in our spirit that we're the children of God, and to help us through spiritual gifts produce fruit that will last. Without him, we can't produce any fruit. When all of those things are present in your life, you know that you are saved. I'm not, getting, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation, but I am getting you to, to ask the question and examine yourself, who am I in this story? I believe that there's two people, two kinds of people here today. There's four seeds described in the story, but they come out to just two kinds of people because these three first seeds, they weren't ever saved. And so there's only two kinds of people sitting in this room. They're saved and unsaved. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're not saved, you can come to Jesus today. And maybe the Lord's speaking into your heart right now. And maybe you're saying, I'm not sure. I think I'm one of the other two. I see myself in the story. I'm seed number one, or I'm seed number two, or I'm seed number three. If that's the case, then the reason you're sitting here is to be saved today. You can come to Jesus today. You can confess your sin. You can repent of your sin, turn from it, and walk in newness with Christ and be saved, just like the rest of us have here. The invitation is for you to come to Jesus today. Give your heart to the Lord. And here's how I want to end today. Um, many of you are grieving right now in your spirit, and you've been grieving all along as we have been in this series, and some of you have been saying to me things like, I love this series and I hate this series. And the reason you hate it is be, and the reason you're grieving today is because you have loved ones, maybe children, parents, grandparents, family members, neighbors, friends, coworkers. And every time we talk like this, they come to your mind and their names come to your mind. And you're grieving the fact that they don't know the Lord and they need the Lord and you've been praying for them for years that they would come to Jesus and you've told them about Jesus and they just won't do it. Some of you have talked to me and said, man, I want Jesus to come back, but I know that if Jesus comes back, there are people that are gonna be lost. And I love those people. couple came up to me a couple of weeks ago and they were in tears and they said our heart is so burdened because we are saved but our daughter is not and she's 12 years old and if the rapture happens like, Phil, like you say it's going to Phil and the rapture happens tomorrow our daughter is going to be left behind left alone I can't bear the thought of that. And some of you are right there. Some of you are, get cold sweats in the night thinking about this. 
and thinking about your loved ones or your friends or your coworkers that aren't gonna make it to heaven. Some of you are coming to me and you're saying, I don't know what to do. Why won't God save them? I've been asking him forever, why won't he save them? And I share your concern, but I, the answer is, I, I don't know. God wants them to be saved, I know that. The Bible tells us he wants all to, be, to come to, to repentance and to be saved. But I know that not everyone will. And I share your concern. And I had a discussion with a brother this week that we're sharing those, those concerns about what do you do? And the only answer I have is pray like Elijah, yes. preach like an evangelist, Don't give up. and persevere like Job. Yeah. Some of you are like, oh, I've, been, I've been trying all that. I've been praying for years. I've told them till I'm blue in the face. I don't have the answer as to why they're not coming to Christ. But don't you dare stop. Because the timing of that person's salvation is not up to you. And all we can do, we're told in the scripture Elijah was a man just like you and me, but when he prayed, powerful things happened. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman is powerful as it goes out. And when you pray, you release the Holy Spirit to pray, and so don't stop praying. Keep on praying and preach like an evangelist. And what I mean by that is not beat people up with the gospel. That doesn't work. You just like every time you see the person, here I go, I'm gonna get them again with the gospel. I'm gonna get my wristband and choke them with it. That's not how it is. That's not how it works. But you certainly take every opportunity the Holy Spirit has to open up the word and to speak from your heart and give your testimony. See, evangelist, evangelist is the kind of person who's wired that they just are ready all the time. They're like ready all the time. I'm just ready, you know? And they have a, we, a ability to discern what's going on in a person's life, and they go, this person's ready. I'm gonna share Jesus with you right now. Preach like an evangelist and persevere like Job. Don't give up. Don't stop. Just keep on going. Here's the deal. I don't know how to answer questions I don't have the answers to. And the questions that some of you are asking in this department have no answers, but here's what I know for certain. Though I don't know the answer to the question, I know the one who knows the answer to the question. You and I have absolute no control over the hearts and minds of others, which means we have no control over their behavior, which means we cannot make anybody get saved. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had the power to make you get saved? You're not saved? Here it is. You have to get saved. Oh, how, how nice. I'm saved now. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit does that work. And all that we're told to do is in the power of the Holy Spirit we pray for the salvation of those who don't know the Lord. We tell them every time we get an opportunity to tell them in love, by the way. And then we persevere and keep on starting all over again and continuing on and we trust in the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can change the heart of a man or a woman and without his intervention, all of us are toast. There was a day that, those of you who know the Lord, there was a day that he had to come and take the blinders that Satan had on you off and open your ears and open your heart. And all of a sudden, this thing that was like a mystery to you, all of a sudden you woke up to it and you're like, this is real, this is true, and I believe it. And you're broken in your spirit and you repent of your sin and you give your heart to Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit. And so we pray and we ask God, the Holy Spirit, to change the hearts of people that we love. 
We can't change their hearts. All we can do is lead them to the living water, giving them the truth in love and then wait. And sometimes it's agonizingly long to wait for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. Some of you might be like, you know, I'm tired, Phil. I know you and I, many of you, and I know that you've been praying for your loved one every day for their salvation. It's discouraging, Phil. It's, I get tired. Yeah, well, it's just a little while longer. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop preaching. And don't stop persevering to the end. And I thought I would end. Matt and I were talking about ending the service like this. To ask, because some of you, every time we preach on this and we get to this point, those of us who know the Lord, we have somebody's name that comes to our mind of a person that we're concerned about and we're burdened about. And so um, what I would like to do is if that's you and you have somebody in your mind, a loved one, a coworker, a relative, a friend, that you know needs the Lord and you want us to pray over that person, why don't you just stand to your feet right now? Just stand to your feet. If there's somebody in your heart, in your mind, you know knows the Lord, needs the Lord. See, this is what we talked about because we said, you know, um, what we would do is the five people that stand up will have the whole church pray around them. And then we thought, well, what if, you know, I mean, pretty much we, most of us know somebody that we're concerned about. And so what we're gonna do, let's just go ahead and have everybody stand. What we're gonna do is we're going to speak the only name that is above every name, the only name that has power into all of these situations represented by those of you who stood. Because I don't know all the names represented here, but the Lord knows every one. He knows every detail about every one that we are concerned about, and he is concerned about the people that you're concerned about. And so we're going to sing this song that we've been learning, which is just a powerful song about speaking the name of Jesus. We're just going to sing it into this situation, sing it into all of these circumstances, sing it into the hearts of all these people represented in your standing. And you just pray out to God, and you just cry out to God anew and afresh today as we sing this song. You can do it through the song, or you can just speak it out right there and just cry out to the Lord and speak the name of Jesus into their life in faith, believing that the Lord will save them. And let's persevere through this time right now with this song.
from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Okay, hear me. Every name that's represented here, every name, the Lord knows. I don't understand how it all works, but I do know this. The truth is that he, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. You never know when the Holy Spirit is going to open the hearts and minds of those who are lost. You don't have control of the timing of that, but I just read in my devotions just this morning, I was reading in 2 Peter, and Peter said, you do know that the Lord, some of you are thinking like, Lord, why are you so long in your coming? And he goes, the Lord isn't slack concerning his promise in coming. As you think that he's like taking so long, don't you know that the Lord, because he doesn't want any to perish, is giving more time for people to be saved? He's delaying his coming because more people can be saved. And then later on in 2 Peter, he says, oh, and by the way, he's also delaying his coming to give you more time to tell more people. That's our job, you guys. And the powerful name of Jesus isn't done doing its powerful work on this planet. Don't get discouraged. Don't stop. Don't give up. Trust the Lord and keep on going. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, would you just give your heart to Jesus today? Let the powerful name of Jesus break the chains of sin in your life. Come forward and let us help you. If you're at home online visiting with, just reach out to us. Let us help you find Jesus today. Let's go out singing one more time, okay? Let's just go out, declaring the powerful name of the Lord into all of these circumstances here. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over. Jesus for my family, Jesus for my family. 
the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's go out strong, okay? Let's go out in the powerful name of Jesus. Pray like Elijah. Preach like an evangelist. Persevere like Job and persevere to the end. God bless you, my friends.